I always set my personal game plan. Coaches aren't building that out for individual players. You have to do that by yourself. And so that's the level of preparation. That's Nick Hardwick, former NFL Pro Bowl center and team captain for the San Diego Chargers and now sports talk radio and podcast host. He joined us to share some lessons from his experience in the NFL and what it taught him about preparation and game day performance. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Before we jump into the conversation with Nick, Dan, can you define what a game plan is in sales? One of the most interesting aspects of the conversation with Nick, and I've talked to other professional athletes about this, is the amount of time that they truly commit to the preparation and the practice of their craft. So, you know, if Nick's going to play for a game on Sunday for three and a half hours, he has anywhere between 70 and maybe 90 hours of prep. And when you think about it in sales, you work so hard to get that appointment. That appointment may last a half an hour. It could last an hour and a half. What kind of prep do you have going into that appointment? And what are you prepping? And so it's really important as a sales professional to bring out your best, you've got to prep. So a few things that you want to prep for. Number one is prep your questions. Don't approach it as a linear process, though. It's a dynamic process. If you prep 10, you don't have to get through all 10. It's okay if you only get through three or four. It's the quality of the conversation that these questions generate. Number two, prep for curveballs. These are the things that your prospects tell you that you don't expect, or that maybe in this case you do expect because of your experience. You know, a lot of times a, cross, a prospect will toss this out at you. And normally when they do, it causes you some frustration, a little hesitation, anxiety, or disappointment. Number three, you also have to prep for what or how you're going to share your expertise. Now, I want to be careful in this one. This is not about scripting your expertise so that you're attached to sharing it a certain way. Because you have to treat every prospect differently, but you still need to have a, a good feel for how you may want to communicate that expertise when it's time and if it's time to communicate it. And by the way, sometimes in a meeting, it may be okay and it may be appropriate not to communicate it. Number four, first and foremost though, is mindset. This is your real prep. It's you sitting down and realizing, okay, do I have a sales mindset today going into this meeting where I'm feeling like I need something from them, or I hope they see my value, or I hope we get a second meeting where there's a little bit of tension that you're feeling. That's a sales mindset, and that's going to lead to sales questions and a sales conversation. And you may think that's okay, but that's not something your prospect looks forward to. You have to switch in your prep to this advisor mindset that we talk about, which is your number one role is how and if you can help and are they ready. You don't have to complicate it, but you do have to get yourself in that mindset before you go into the meeting. Dan, what prompted you to invite Nick on the show? I've gotten to know Nick a bit. Uh, we spent some time together and it's just fascinating his 
stories about commitment to performing at a high level, his preparation, his mindset, how he sleeps and, and the fuel he put into his body and, and everything that he did every single week leading up to a three and a half hour game where he played half the game because he's obviously on the offensive line. It just fascinated me that ultimate commitment to performing at the highest level. When you looked at your schedule, you know, I think it comes out late spring right. in the NFL. Yep. You would look at your schedule and you would immediately look at the different teams you'd be playing. And then you'd be thinking about the dude or the couple of them that you'd be up against. Yeah, there's always a handful of guys, right? So you look at the schedule and you're like, ah, that team's not going to have much to offer. going to be, we're not thinking too much about them. But we do have three or four teams on the upcoming schedule that have some monsters on the team. And those are the guys that will get you to prepare harder. They will get you to lift harder, to eat right, to sleep. Because you had months until the actual combat was going to take place. However, if you didn't lay the groundwork down of the weightlifting, of the eating properly, of working on small things. So we lost the 2007 AFC Championship to the New England Patriots. And we could not move Vince Wilfork off the ball. I kept thinking about that game and it's like, well, if I could have got him a yard further off the ball on our double teams, which turns out nobody's getting Vince Wilfork to move anywhere. But looking back, going into the 2008 season, I was like, I've got to get better at my single leg movements. Instead of just squatting, power cleaning, deadlifting and doing that all the time, I've got to get better at lunging because more often than not, when I'm run blocking and I want to get a double team, I've got to be on my single leg. And you got all these guys and you think about these guys and those are the ones that really light the fuel for the preparation and that really ramps up the intensity because if you think about it it's like i got six months and people procrastinate by nature and so part of that looking ahead was creating a real sense of urgency in my own mind to get the damn work done because the work had to be done if i put myself in your shoes i'm looking at something six months out i like to think i'm fairly disciplined but i'm gonna procrastinate and I don't mean to, but you know, there's going to be those weeks and it might be a couple weeks and there's going to be times here and now I'm going to go, oh, I got time. Oh, I got time. So how do you keep yourself so focused on those minute improvement areas? It's so marginal, right? I mean, you're talking about the improvements when you're at your physical peak, you're talking of like just working in the margins, but you have one sack that you give up one. And you had a horrible game and you can't sleep that next night. And you walk into the locker room with your head down after the game and you walk in the next day and you know the film's going to look ugly on that one play. Everything I did that drove me was based on fear. And it took some getting used to after football to not live in a state of fear and anxiety. You know you're in front of millions on national television and I'm looking at that dude, that the baddest dude that that team can offer, the baddest guy that some of us have ever seen so you get in these like fear worlds and then eventually you go screw it i can do this i can block him i'm gonna make this happen i work for this but that's why that preparation is so important and that was why it didn't slow down why when that schedule came out or even i would take two weeks off after every season to let my body rest and then it was back to work because i knew there had to be improvements there had to be evolution because the game never slowed down Let's go back to prep. What's prep look like 
just let's even talk about the week before the game. Talk to us about the hours. Talk to us about the different things you got to prep, like all the areas that you have to prep in your life for that one game. You take it from the off season and we break it down. We're working on our physical. And then it, as the season nears, we start working a little bit more on our mental. And for me in the off season, it was a lot of studying different philosophers and getting into like, how can I improve my leadership skills? How can I improve my communication? And then as we get closer to the season, you start working on technical things and then game week when it actually shows up and it's real and it kind of hits you in the face. And that's kind of why you think it happens so fast, right? The older you get, the faster time goes and you realize I don't six months, I don't really have much time or three months. That's nothing. It's going to fly by blink of an eye. And then you have a week to get ready for a game that week is it's so intense and so fast and you always wish you had more time to get ready and the longer you play the more you understand of what your game plan is going to look like when you come into the building and then i'm breaking it down to my individual opponent the guy that i'm going to be lacing it up against for the three and a half hours but i always set my personal game plan by then i knew what the team's game plan was i understood my opponent very intimately and then I started breaking down play by play that we had in our game plan that week. And that's my preparation. There's so many different things on my personal checklist that every play as I'm running up, I go this defense check and I got my itemized list in my head that I'm running through my own coaches aren't building that out for individual players. You have to do that by yourself. And so that's the level of preparation. How many hours do you think you have committed just in that one week prior? to prepare for those three and a half hours? I would say at least 60 to 70. It's that much time and that much effort to put your own game plan together. And kids don't understand that when they first come into the league and fans don't understand that because you see the final product on Sunday and it looks awesome and those guys have fun. I'm not kidding. I've run into people who did not know that we practiced and we worked the way that we did. This is where sales has got it wrong. I mean, Nobody practices. Any of them as our listeners are listening right now as you and I talk. And they work so hard for these appointments. I mean, you know, they get on their laptops and they send these emails. They pick up the phone. They make phone calls. No one picks up. So they got to leave voicemails. They get on LinkedIn and they research the person. They send a LinkedIn invite. And that could go on for months and months and months. And then finally the person agrees to meet. And now they're in front of the person. But their prep might be just listing off their questions, doing a little research of the company a day before, and that might be it. Yeah, not enough. And you got one hour, and sometimes you don't even have an hour as a sales professional. Sometimes you got 30 minutes, and you've worked your butt off, and now you're in front of that person, and you may have invested maybe one hour at most for that appointment, but you don't know what you're going to get thrown at. And then I hear your stories of how intense that prep is. And it makes so much sense because you're prepping for anything that can get thrown at you so that you can handle it in the clutch. That's exactly right. And when you think you've done enough, do a little bit more, right? Because we've got time. And so my brain and my eyes knew what I was looking at and was prepared to see what I was going to see. We had Brian Decker from the Colts on a few weeks back and he mentioned state of flow on the field. And you cannot get in a state of flow on the field unless your prep is so extensive that because of that prep, you're completely prepared for what's going to be thrown at you. And your visualization has been so extensive that you've matched the prep and the visualization together. Were there players that 
try to depend and rely too much on their truly God-given talent? Oh, tons of guys. On every NFL roster, there's tons of guys who even had decent careers but never really achieved their full potential, did not understand what it took to be a true professional. And that professionalism is passed down from one guy to the next. There's plenty of guys that did not ever understand how to prepare or they understood how to prepare, but they were unwilling to do the actual preparation. And they would lean on guys who did prepare to tell them what to do on every single play, but they were really cutting their own career off. They were limiting their earning capacity and they were just relying on their talent. And in a business, when you're talking about the elite of the elite, you can't just rely on your talent. It comes down to what you know, what you understand and putting yourself in the right position based on your brain. Your body's one thing. Everyone's got that baseline of talent. Some guys have even above that exceptional talent, but you're never going to reach your potential if you can't prepare. We see that a lot in sales where you got people who just, they have such a knack. So what they've learned, unfortunately, through time is that they've had success because talent for reading people, knowing the situation, knowing how to create trust and empathy naturally, but not quite knowing how you do it, will help you on many occasions. But when the plays change and the game changes, it's hard to adjust. So these, these individuals who don't prep and rely on pure talent, they're good long as nothing changes. If everything stays the same, if everything continues down the normal path and how a conversation unfolds, you're right, they're going to win in the end. But once that game changes or that conversation in our world changes, they're stuck. The only constant is change. Everyone's evolving all the time. I feel like guys who have great talent like that are set up for early success, but are also set up for late failure because they rely too heavily on that talent and they don't think that it's ever going to catch up to them, that they're going to have to really master their position and master their craft and understand the nuanced technique and the details of what they're looking at on the film and in the game book and being able to understand how a defensive coordinator is going to attack them and being able to log that information from this coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings who loves this blitz and this is how they coordinate this thing. And so two years down the line, when I face him again, I've got a log of information on this guy and we're going to play a little cat and mouse game and I'm going to come out on top this time. But the talent, I do feel like, leads to early success, which is great and you can chase that. But while you're having that early success, you also need to be building the systems for the long-term success and that comes to the preparation and that's the nuance of the craft. In sales, we've just started to gain access to technology and platforms to give us a little bit of that after the game film study. These platforms are very good at helping a sales professional listen to themselves and see how they're asking questions, when they're asking questions, what questions they're missing, how deep are they really going, are they really listening? And it's amazing when when a sales professional listens to themselves. First off, they all hate it. I don't blame them. None of us like the sound of our own voice. It's hard at first. It's hard at first, but you get used to it. And that's the thing too. 
watching film at first of yourself, it's brutal because what you think you look like on film and what you actually look like on film are two completely different things. I do it now with high school kids coaching here in Indianapolis is I show them, I ask them what they think they did. And then I show them the film. I film them on my phone. Then I show them what they look like, whether in the weight room or whether pass blocking or run blocking or whatever it is, I show them what they look like. And they go, I didn't think I did that. And I go, of course, but that's why the film's so important. It's because what you're doing and what you think you're doing are completely different things. It, it's the same in sales. I'll, I'll share with the listeners um, one of the trends that we've seen on this film study. What we've noticed is most sales professionals are pretty good at asking that first question, but they're not asking that second or third level question. They're just going on to their next question. They're not really getting into the depth of whatever yes. that prospect just said. So it probably feels superficial to the prospect. Right. Yeah. They didn't continue to dig and ask deeper questions. And that's the game plan, right? That's putting the game plan. So when I ask this question, what are the possible outcomes? How are they going to line up as a defense? And if they line up like this, now my notes tell me to go here and to go here. My preparation has led me down this path. Okay. And then they're going to answer that question another way. And I've got a possible outcome from that. And then I can continue down my preparation path. It's learning to adjust. Yes. So you have to learn to ask your question and truly listen. Because to your point, if you just go on to a different question, you're going to come off like to the prospect, like you weren't even listening to begin with. You didn't even acknowledge what they said. So you shouldn't even ask your question. Right. And, and as a prospect, right, what do we all do? I was on the golf course the other day. This, this gentleman asked me, what do you do for a living? I told him he didn't ask me a single question after that. That was it. That was it. What that told me was he was not interested at all. It was more of one of those icebreakers. When a salesperson's in front of a prospect and they ask a question and then they go off to a different one and they don't ask further about whatever that prospect's original answer was, what you're really telling that prospect is you're not listening. And what happens is the prospect doesn't then put much effort into the ongoing dialogue because they know you're not really listening. The thing that I miss the most, the single thing that I miss the most is figuring out the other opponent's blitz strategy and being able to pick that up and coming up with our dialogue that we're going to use through the game and understanding how they're going to do it and getting cues. And if you've done enough preparation, you've studied enough, then you're going to be able to pick them up and you're going to be able to complete a big pass down the field. You're going to hurt them. And then all of a sudden you're not going to see any more blitzes. And that was always our goal. And that was the most satisfying thing personally was taking all of that preparation that we did. There are things that happen to a sales professional that it's like a blitz. You know, it's again, sales professional finally gets the meeting sitting in front of the CFO Sales professionals pumped up. CFO looks at the sales professional and says, hey, I know we had 60 minutes planned today, but I apologize. We've only got 30. Tell me what you got. Tell me how you can help. And the whole time that sales professionals sharing whatever they decided to share, deep inside, they got their fingers crossed. And they're just hoping that they're profound enough in that moment that they're going to pass that test. And that CFO is going to be like, oh, okay. When you get that blitz, as we called it right yeah. here in sales, you cannot panic. You have to learn to be able to tell that prospect, hey, I can't really answer that right now. 
Because if I start telling you all the things that I think make us different, even though I did my research, I'm going to be pretty assumptive and I might be doing our time together a disservice. But it's learning to your point. When the blitz comes, only through prep are you going to be able to handle it. Yeah, the first thing you do is freak out, right? If you haven't seen it and they got us and we don't know what we're looking at, so I better go back. And then another thought that is, and I think this is kind of universal, when we have a weakness, the universe works in a really strange way that it continues to test that weakness until you fix it. And so if I couldn't stop a bull rush one game, the opponent's going to see that and he's going to continue to test me until I stop it. Or if I have an issue with a certain technique that a guy's using on me, you better believe that is going to pop up time and again. Or if I'm misidentifying a blitz, for some reason, the universe conspires to come at you with that exact same blitz. And so when you're talking about the preparation, it's like if you're a salesperson with a weakness, you better go work on that weakness because I promise it's going to come up time and time again to expose that weakness. And for some reason, it always seems to funnel back to that until you get the problem corrected. It's so funny when you're saying that because you're right, especially now, you know, amongst the pandemic that we're in, we did some research through surveys recently and 83% of prospect contacts right now, that prospect is saying, not interested, call me at the end of the year or call me at the beginning of next year, right? That's one of those things, you know, it's probably coming. It's happening. You've got to prep for it. You cannot keep doing the same thing over and over and over. So now as a salesperson, you had better go adjust your own game plan to combat that blitz. There's the blitz coming at you. I always think back to in some of the really hard ones in sales, and I'm sure some of our listeners have been there where you're asking a question or a line of questions with the prospect because through your research and some earlier dialogue earlier in the conversation with that same prospect, you feel like you may have uncovered something that you can help them with. And so what happens sometimes is the salesperson will what we call leap too soon. They've uncovered something, but they haven't uncovered enough of it, but they get overly excited. And so they leap too soon and start trying to share their expertise or their idea prematurely. Without the full understanding of the problem. Right. And then the prospect then sits back and they say stuff like, well, no, you know what? We've tried that before. It doesn't work for us. In that moment, the salesperson typically feels like just like this weight just hit them. Uh, They just got knocked back five yards because they didn't expect that to happen. Because of a lack of preparation, are there football coaches and cultures that drive the level of preparation? Yes. So you just know by nature that there's going to be certain teams that are going to be a far better prepped than other teams? Yeah, they're going to be more nuanced in their details that are going to disguise those little tiny things. So there would be times where I'd go, hey, I got one. And it would be a defensive end and he'd have his wrong hand down. And I know he's going to loop to the outside. And it's like, hey, I got one. But then there were times where he would go counter to that, where intentionally he would do that. And so we know the blitz is there and we know there's something else. So instead of looking one layer deep, now we got to go find something else that is also a tell. So when I see his hand down, his wrong hand down, I think he's going to loop to the outside, but sometimes he's played inside to counter 
what we're thinking. So now we're going another layer deep. And so then I've got two layers deep that I've got to check. So I don't know about the rest of you listening to this, but that is just like asking first layer, second layer, third layer questions. It's identical what you just said. So we talked about the blitz earlier, right? You don't know what to expect in a, in a, in a game. You don't know what to expect in, in, a, in a sales conversation. It's right. You know, you hear something on that first layer question, but it could be a false positive. You got to go second layer, third layer, maybe sometimes fourth layer. It depends on just who you're talking to. And in your case, who you're competing against. Because some would try to throw you off. Some defenses, it sounds like, they'll give you maybe the first sign. They might even give you the second sign. So you might have to look for the third That's to determine right. if the blitz was coming. That's exactly right. It's a lot of prep. Yeah, but it's worth it. And when you're keeping your quarterback upright, when he hasn't missed a start since the beginning of his career, and that's the things you take pride in, right? It's like your preparation and being able to pick up a blitz and having the defense know that you've got a center and a quarterback who are going to see everything. So prep is a part of the culture. Yes. What teams were really known for the prep so that you guys knew that they may not have the most talent or whatever, but you knew from a prep standpoint, they were going to be ready to compete. Always the Patriots. Okay. Always the Patriots. They were not the most talented, but from a technical standpoint, they were the most fundamentally sound team that you would ever play. And from a prep standpoint, there was no leeway in their game plan for an athlete to be an athlete, as the adage would go in football, or, hey, just go make a play. There's no just go make a play with the Patriots. It's just go make your play the one that you're designed to make. And obviously it's resulted in six Super Bowl championships and camping out. I always say they their base camp is the AFC championship game. And it had been for the last 20 years where everybody else is just hopeful to make it to the playoffs, hopeful to get a win or two. And maybe you get your lucky shot to make a run at a Super Bowl. Theirs is not luck. It's just all preparation and having a really tight game plan. I'm talking airtight. Teams are nothing without great leadership from a personnel standpoint, from a player standpoint, but they're also nothing if you don't have a coach who can show the leaders how to lead. So having good coaches and not just the head coach, I'm talking position coaches, coordinators, all of those guys have to be incredibly strong leaders and be able to hold guys accountable, be able to discipline when necessary and be able to know exactly what this team is all about and have systems in place to easily identify what is progress and what is not. All right, Dan, let's unpack some of the things that Nick mentioned and how they might translate into our world in sales. So one of the things that Nick referenced was reacting to the blitz. What would that be in our world? I think the blitz would be the curveballs. You know, when you sit down with that prospect and, you know, they tell you that from a loyalty standpoint that they're really happy with their current provider, not something you probably want to hear. It could be them telling you that they have no interest in changing, yet everything you've asked them up to that point in the meeting would suggest that they absolutely should and need to make a change. But at the end of the conversation, they tell you they're not interested. Um, one of the biggest curveballs that we get, though, it's not communicated through words is body language. You know, you're sitting across from that prospect and they got their arms folded, sitting back in their chair and they're not taking any notes. 
all right? You know something's up. It could be the prospect looks at you with a look of frustration or a little bit of annoyance based on a question that you asked. That's a curveball. So those are probably, I think, parallels or a good analogy for what Nick was talking to when he says blitzes. And, you know, in football, you never know where they're going to come from. Just like in sales, you don't know where it's going to come from, but you better prepare because they will happen. I have to ask, because if I'm a listener, I'm probably wondering, how do you respond to that curveball? I mean, we've all been in the room where you can tell the other person by their body language is disinterested. What do you do in that scenario? There's obviously a variety of things that you can do, but here's the key, Kylie. And for our listeners, what you choose to do in that moment is going to come from the mindset that you have in that moment. So if you're noticing the body language as disinterested or frustrated from your prospect and you have a sales mindset, you're going to handle it a lot different than if you had the advisor mindset. Uh, sales mindset in that instance, you know, is going to feel the nervousness and it's going to come out and they're going to repeat themselves. Maybe they start talking faster to the prospect. Maybe they skip some tougher questions because they already know that the prospect looks frustrated. And anytime you skip your questions, you limit your learning. That sales professional might start trying to get into their expertise and fill that space and nervously with talking about their particular solution. So there's a lot of things that happen in that instance when you get that curveball. Now, from an advisor mindset, you might slowly calm down and you might just simply ask the prospect, is this still an okay time to talk? Now that's going to depend on when it happens in the meeting. You might even say to that prospect, Mr. Prospect, I noticed right now or I feel a little distance in our conversation. If you don't mind me asking, is it a particular question that I asked? Is it something that we've talked about that you're uncertain of or you're not sure you want to get into right now? Just like we would with a normal conversation with someone else where we notice someone has a little bit of a distant kind of body language, what do we typically do? We might turn to the person and say, hey, Kylie, I noticed that right now I'm picking up a little energy that maybe this is an uncomfortable topic for you. Do you want to change the topic? Is this an okay time to talk about it? That's what an advisor mindset is going to do. And I might even add, you know, if it's not, if this isn't something you want to talk about right now, that's okay. And give them a little bit of an out. Yeah, absolutely. Make them feel a little bit more comfortable. But it will all come down to, again, how are you thinking and feeling in that moment? That's going to dictate how you respond to the curveball. You mentioned prepping questions. What does it mean to have those second and third layer questions? And how do we prep for those? Second and third layer questions are questions that you ask the prospect based on what you heard and how the prospect responded to your first question. It shows that you're truly listening. And what we have noticed through our coaching is a lot of sales professionals, very articulate ones, very smart ones, will ask that first level question, but they're not listening to the actual answer and they're not diving in with another question based on that prospect's answer. They're too focused on getting to that second question, or they're too focused on getting to some other question that they feel is going to light the way to be able to share their 
solution or their expertise. And so the sales professional is truly not listening. And it feels like an interview for the prospect at that point. Well, it's interesting because I do lots of interviews as part of my role. And the one thing I always try to do to make candidates feel like I am paying really close attention to what they're telling me, because that's going to be the key to getting them to open up more, is if they feel like they're being heard, I take something that they've already shared and match it with one of the questions that I want to ask next. So I'll weave some of that together. And that's one way that I do it in real life. Any other tips, Dan, on how you actively listen and then go a layer deeper? Yeah, there are. They might be called beacons, triggers, where you there's certain beacons that you can listen for during a conversation. Number one, I think anytime somebody talks about their role and their responsibility, that should be a trigger to really listen to what that prospect's saying. You do want to go second, third, and fourth layer. People like to talk about what they do. And it's annoying when somebody asks us a question about, hey, what do you do? And you tell them, and then there's no second or third level question. So that's a trigger or a beacon. Another trigger or beacon is when someone uses a specific type of adjective or some way to describe something. That's an absolute beacon that says, okay, let's find out more about that. What do they mean when they say that? Like, I'll give you an example. Company might say, yeah, we're always looking to partner with people who are more proactive and can help us with strategy. I mean, I don't know, maybe every prospect in the world has probably said that at least once a day. Proactive? What do they mean by proactive? That should be a trigger. Go deeper. What do they mean? Strategy. Everybody talks about strategy. Find out how they define it though. Ask for examples of how strategy looks to them and how strategy sounds to them. Those are absolute triggers in sales. When people use those words, prospects use those words, go deeper. Ask what they mean. I picture an iceberg in my head and we know that iceberg theory where most of the truth is living below the surface. And I think some of those words that you just mentioned, you know, they don't sound emotionally charged, but once you ask them to go deeper, that's where you're going to uncover some of the emotion behind it. And we know people make emotional decisions and justify them with rationale. So I think that's a great way of making sure that we're going deeper throughout the conversation. Nick shared that he starts planning for games six months out. How do we translate that into our sales world? That was one of the cool parts of the conversation with Nick is just realizing that he truly does plan things out six months in advance. He knows from a competitive standpoint who he's playing against. And so he's already prepping for that moment. I think in sales, it's like, don't wait to the night before to role play or think through your questions. You're going to be in a much better position if you advance that maybe a week or two out, because then that gives you time to adjust and think through how you're going to handle things. And again, it doesn't put it all at the last minute. And at the last minute, you no longer have time to truly adjust. Nick mentioned that even at the NFL level, there are players that rely on talent instead of practice and preparation. What are your thoughts on this, Dan, in regards to sales? 
I've seen this time and again, but what I always noticed is the talent eventually hits the ceiling. The talent runs out. Talent on its own will only get you so far. You have to have prep and practice with it to maximize that talent. And we've all heard the stories in sports. It's no different in sales. And I know for some of our listeners, we have many of them who are probably like that. But it will only work in the certain circumstances of the individual, the prospect, and how that prospect's wired that you're able to pick up that personality type. So what you're doing is if you're relying on your talent of feel, you're actually limiting your own opportunities because that feel talent will only work in certain situations. So you have to practice your mindset again. You have to practice your questions. No matter what your talent is, you have to practice curveballs. You know, you have to practice how you're going to share your expertise. Dan, what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation with Nick? I hope for our listeners, the one thing that they take away is just the idea of preparation. Take the time to prep. That's the key takeaway. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?